This talk for Yom Kippur is taken from an article by Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag. What do the sages mean when they teach us that the gate of tears is never locked? The sages state in the Talmud, Rabbi Elazar said, on the day when the temple was destroyed, the gates of prayer were locked. However, even though the gates of prayer were locked, the gate of tears is not locked. Everyone asks the question, if the gate of tears is not locked, why is it a gate? To answer this, we need to examine the different types of crying. We see that when children cry, it's often over something small that passes. Maybe another child took their toy. Adults who pass by know that in another moment the children will make up and carry on playing again, so they don't take too much notice. But if we were to see an adult crying in the street, that would touch our hearts, as in general adults don't cry openly over small things. We would stop and ask him, why is he crying? Maybe we can help him. In our service of God, we can make a similar distinction. There are people who fulfill the entire Torah and do all the mitzvot in all their details and their stringencies, and they think of themselves as perfect in their service of God. But because they need to fulfill the dictum of the sages, as it says in Ethics of the Fathers, be very humble, this causes them quite a bit of work to try and find some lack in themselves so that they can say they are lowly. Once, Rabbi Baruch Shalom heard a man ask a Torah scholar, how does he consider himself to be lowly and that he has sins, when he looks around and sees that there aren't many others who are such esteemed Torah scholars as himself? How can he consider himself as lowly? The scholar answered saying that he relies on the sage's teaching in Bhava Batra in the Talmud, none are completely saved from Lashon Hara, wrong speech, and therefore on this ground he could hold himself to be lowly. This answer implies that, that in truth the scholar knows that really he's perfect, and therefore when he cries to God that God should give him the strength to practice the Torah and the mitzvot, he isn't really crying for something that he feels he lacks, something that he feels is crucial to him, but he's crying for an optional extra. Even if he were to cry very much, no one will regard his tears because he's crying for something which isn't really crucial to him. We see that before such a man, the gates for his tears are locked. They don't allow his prayers to go in. For the same reason as in the physical world, we don't cry over luxuries. Only over things that are truly necessary do we cry. We can see this from the following parable. A new immigrant came to Israel from Russia. He arrived in a little township, but in order to get accommodation he needed 10,000 shekels. But this Jew has no money. He went to the rabbi of the town and poured out his heart. The rabbi promised him that on the next Shabbat he will turn to the congregation and ask for their help. Since Jews are merciful and giving, surely they will help. And so indeed it was. On the following Shabbat, the rabbi poured out the story of this immigrant, how he was the father of a large family who were dependent on him, 
He's got no roof over his head and he lacks even the basic necessities of life. The pleas of the rabbi made an impression on the people and they raised the necessary money for him. About half a year later, the rabbi came again before the congregation and again started to plead with them. Merciful Jews, I need 10,000 shekels. My wife was at a wedding and there was a lady from America who had a beautiful diamond ring and she wants me to buy such a ring for her. Please help me. But no one listened to him or offered to help him. And the more he cried out, the more the congregation laughed. Finally, he asked, Why was it when you came to collect money for a simple man, each one gave according to his open heart? And now when I'm asking money, and but I'm a Torah scholar, you don't even help me. And the analogy is apt. When a person cries and his tears are shed over things that are vital to him, that is, he cries to God that God should help him be a simple man. He's not looking to be a Talmud scholar. He just wants to be a simple Jew who believes in God. He wants to have the possibility of fulfilling and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And he doesn't want to be sunk in his ego selfish love anymore. But however much he tries, he sees that he doesn't have the power to overcome his own selfishness. He sees that all that he does has a motive of self-serving. And how can he be even called a Jew? For even when he reads the Shema, he can't fulfill it. On the contrary, when he says the words, and you shall love the Lord your God, he sees how far away he is from loving God in truth. And then he cries on this and he sees that he did do everything he could to get to merit some aspect of the truth and he's already been to all the gates with his prayer and he sees that all the gates are locked. And then from such great sorrow he begins to cry and he's swamped with his tears. But when he comes to the gate of tears he sees that this gate is not locked because he's not asking for luxuries. He's begging for his very life itself as a simple Jew, that he wants to simply believe in God and love him and not be sunk in his selfish love. He sees that to do anything simply for the love of God is impossible for him. He asks, in what way am I a Jew? And he cries out from the depths of his pain that he lacks faith and he really wants to truly believe in God. It's not something he's saying from his mouth outwards, but it's if he's whispering it in his heart. He takes on himself faith in God. Even when he says to himself, I want to take on myself the yoke of the governance of God, even this he feels he's doing it for his own sake and he can't do anything purely for the sake of God. For this he doesn't have any strength. In the face of such a man's prayers, the gates of tears are not locked because he's crying out for his life, for his vital needs. Now we can understand the question that we asked right at the beginning of this discourse. When we asked concerning the issue that the gates of tears are never locked, 
If they're not locked, why do we need a gate? The answer is that they are locked before those who cry for luxuries, who are crying for things that are really superfluous to them, matters that they would like to have, but which don't really impinge on their vital being. Such tears are like those of a child who's had his toy snatched away from him, or like those of the rabbi who couldn't afford the diamond ring for his wife. But when a person cries over what is touching him deeply, when he feels he's standing between his life and his death, since he believes in what the sages have said, that the wicked in their lifetime are designated as dead because they're not clinging to God, but they are sunk in their selfish love and are separated from the life of all lives, the source of all life, we find that he's crying that God should simply give him life. And certainly whoever prays for his life because he's afraid he's going to die is crying from the depths of his heart. It happens quite often that it is very difficult for a person to discern for himself when he's crying from his own true need or whether what he thinks he needs really isn't so, like the child whose toy got snatched. However, in the spiritual worlds, they know the difference. For from above, they don't give extras, but only that which is truly needed. If a person were to get what he didn't really need, the ego would snatch it, and the light would go to the framework of evil. Therefore, if a person sees that his prayer is not accepted, then he needs to check the basis of his prayer and see if he really needs God's mercy, or is he asking for something he doesn't in truth really need. A person needs to believe that when he prays on matters that are absolutely vital for him, his prayer is accepted, for the gate of tears is not locked. When a person prays that his life should be saved, that he should not remain in separation from the Creator, and that he should merit the could with the Creator, his prayer is answered, for he is praying for his life. And this is the way that Rabbi Baruch Shalom Alevi Ashlag's father, the Balasulam, taught. When are the gates of tears not locked? When the person has already gone with his prayers to all the gates and he's found them all locked before him and he has no hope of getting closer to God. Then, in such a state, the tears and cries burst forth from him and the tears themselves work for the gate of tears is never locked. Until the person experiences that all the gates are locked, these tears do not go through the gate of tears because only then does he have a true lack that he needs God to bring him close to him. Until then, he still thinks that with this or that strategy he can come close to holiness and only when he realises that it is only God can help him is his prayer a true prayer. Now, we can understand what it is we ask at the very close of Yom Kippur in the Ni'ila service. Open for us the gate at the time of the closing of the gate. We need the gate to open. But why do we need it to open right now, just when all the gates are closing and Yom Kippur is finishing? It is as if we're saying that only now we can pray.
and all our prayers during the day weren't sufficient? But the issue is, is that we have to pray two different types of prayers. The first type is a person, when he comes to pray to God for his needs, he doesn't yet know what he needs. He doesn't yet know what his true need is. It could be that he is crying, and even with copious tears to God, that he should receive his request. But actually he's praying for things which are not re the real substance for him. Like the child, or the rabbi in the story. So the first prayer of a person needs to be that God should let him know what it is he really needs, so that he knows what to ask for. And this is like the prayer we say in the Musaf Amid of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. O God and God of our fathers, be with the mouths of those who represent your people Israel, who stand before you in prayer and supplication. Teach them what they should say and help them understand what they should speak. Answer them what they should ask for and teach them how to pray. From the perspective of our inner work, Every person is a complete world. Therefore the words, Your people, the house of Israel, refers to the essence of the person himself, and the messenger is the person who is praying and asking God to save him. Just as in the words of the prayer, we need to pray that our own messenger knows what to pray, since no man knows what he really lacks, but the Holy Blessed One needs to tell him or her what is the main thing and what is not, what is vital and what is superfluous. By the time of the closing of the gate, the close of Yom Kippur, at the Ni'ila service, we believe that we already have this knowledge. We already understand what it is we're praying for. We know now what is, is vital for us, and then we can start our second type of prayer. These are our true prayers. This is for our true need. We pray to open for us the gate at the time of the closing of the gate. It is now when we feel how truly far away we've become, when we've been sunk in our selfish love, and we cry out with all our heart that we want to love God instead of ourselves, that we can say, don't close the gate. Because now, at the end of the entire day of prayers, we can ask our true prayer. And then becomes true what we say on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and all believe that he answers the whisper who opens the gate to those who knock on it in Shuva, returning to him. May we all be blessed for Shana a good, beautiful, sweet and happy year in which all our requests to come closer to God may be answered for good. May we all be blessed with good life and happiness and blessings for health for ourselves and our families. Amen. This audio recording is brought to you from the Horace School 
established by Yadita Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudelev Ashlag. Studies with Yadita Cohen are available through the Nahoah School online. Details at www.nahoahschool.com or www.nahoahpress.com.